starting a brand new series today. Uh, it's called Fighting for Families. Fighting for Families. We're going to do five weeks on this series. Um, and really, the goal of, of this series is to equip us as parents, as grandparents, legal guardians, uh, however it is that you might be raising your child or whoever's in your home, uh, that we're going to build strong, healthy, life-giving families. Uh, the idea for this, this series really came from Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah, uh, it was about, I think it was last year, just two years ago, we started talking about rebuilding. It was right after COVID. And that thing got into our heart and into our soul and into our spirits because we recognize that the enemy has destroyed in many cases and is trying to destroy in other cases the family unit. And uh, as we were working on a series title, which we, we do with our team, it was interesting. I, I was like, well, what about if we called it Building Strong Families, you know, Family Matters, you know, something that's a little more gentle. And the team said, Pastor, we're in a fight for families. And uh, we wanted a series title that really declares the urgency of the hour. How I many know families are under attack? They're under attack and assault from the enemy like never before. In fact, I was going to come in, and I have a whole bunch of stats. It's unbelievable the amount of fatherless homes. It's uh, unbelievable to see how suicide is the second leading cause of death from 10 to 35-year-olds. I mean, there's so many things between drug use and alcohol. I had all the stats and facts, and I thought, well, do you know what? It's, it's not that we're going to focus on the negative. We're going to focus on building, that the great, the best defense is a great offense. And uh, what we want to see is there is an urgency, that there's an enemy that is trying to destroy your family and trying to destroy families in general. But I want to encourage you with the words of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14, he says, don't be afraid of the enemy. Don't be afraid. Listen, I know that the enemy is trying to destroy. He wants to steal, kill, and to destroy, according to John 10, 10. But the back half of that passage says, but God has come to give you life and life more abundantly. That, that the devil doesn't end with a period there. That's not where it stops. That as a believer, God's come that though he's come to steal, kill, and to destroy, God's come that we might have life and life more abundantly. And so I came to tell you, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember, look at what he says, remember the Lord, who is what? Great and glorious. It's fascinating when you study out scripture and the devil himself. Uh, though he has power, he is not all powerful. Now, don't kid yourself. The, the, the devil has power. Demonic spirits have power. But they don't have power against the God that's on the inside of you. So the only power he has in our life is the power we defer to him. And so it's like, no, 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 I remember my God is what? He is great, he is glorious. And then look at the words here, and this is where the series title came from. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Listen, I think there's an enemy inside. He has infiltrated many homes in America. Christian homes. Godly homes, places where we've tried to establish the kingdom of God, and we're here to recognize we're going to fight and take back any territory the enemy has tried to steal. And then look at what he says in verse 20. He says, when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. So in other words, wherever the enemy is attacking, 
That's where we're going to rush to. And then he says this, when you show up, when you fight, look at what he says, then our God will fight for us. I think it's so fascinating that God fights for us when we begin to fight. So many times we can pray and say, oh, God, just fix my kids, help this. But the truth is, he is in partnership with us. He will, but we've got to do our part. He wants to fight on our behalf, but we've got to fight the battle with him. And our goal over the next five weeks is we're going to fight this battle by building strong and healthy families. Can I get an amen? amen. Strong and healthy families. Strong and healthy families. And I want to acknowledge it is not easy to be a parent. I don't know that it ever was, but it is definitely not easy today. That's the only day I know about. And I'm telling you, it is hard. You can try to do all that you know to do, but I'm telling you, it's not easy, but that's okay. We got a God that gives us strength and he gives us instruction on what we can do. And I don't know about you, but if you got teenagers, and I want to validate any teenagers in this place, you're fighting battles we've never known anything about. That I don't care how bad someone says they had it, I want you to know you're in a tougher battle than we were in. And here's what I want you to hear too, though. There is a church that loves you. There are families that love you. There's a pastor that loves you. There are parents that love you. Grandparents, guardians, we love you. We're not fighting against you. We're fighting with you. And we may not get it all right, but we want to. And we want to work hard to get it right. And it's tough, especially being a teenager. Look at what Mark Twain actually said about parenting teenagers. I thought it was kind of fascinating. He said, when a boy turns 13, put him in a barrel, feed him through the knot hole. When he turns 16, just go ahead and plug that hole up. <laughs> it isn't easy. It isn't easy. But we're going we're gonna to parent our kids. And today, the message that I'm going to talk about, I've titled it, it would be a parent's priority. Like, we can talk about the kids, we can talk about the teenagers, but what's our responsibility? And when I say a parent's priority, I recognize there are grandparents and legal guardians that are raising kids. So the point is, if you are facilitating the parenting and the life of a child, it's our responsibility to create the home that you thrive in and that God is in the center of. So our priority, we find this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a couple of things that will help us to make God the priority in our home and to create the home that God wants us to have. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, this is on the heels of Deuteronomy chapter 5, where Moses uh, has just revealed the Ten Commandments uh, to the people of Israel. And the Ten Commandments, if you don't know, they're not just rules and regulations. They're actually principles that we're called to live by. you got to remember, children of Israel come out of Egyptian slavery. All they have known is slavery. That's it. And now they're free, and God says, well, if you... See, because he recognized you can be physically free but still be bound up. So just because you come out of Egypt, now God's got to get Egypt out of you. And the boundaries and, and principles, they're not to keep you from having fun. They're to keep you safe. 
And that's where God begins to give these principles, in other words, ethics that we live by and the way that we're supposed to live and worship God and how they play a fundamental role in the success of a believer's life. And so God would challenge them to live by these commandments. And so Moses is speaking, and here he actually, in chapter 6, gives some of the best parenting advice you'll find anywhere in the Bible. We're going to read in verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. These are the commands, the decrees, the laws. The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. So not only you, not only your children, but we should build families in such a way that our grandchildren are impacted. God is a tri-generational God. And so he is saying, look, live in a way that impacts every single generation, that they may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. And you want to have long life? Then obey the creeds of God, the decrees of God, the laws of God, the regulations of God, and you're going to have long life. And then verse 4, look at what he said. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord. Now, he's talking to them, and remember, he's giving principles and instruction on how do we live our life. And he's saying, look, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then in verse 5, he says this, Love the Lord your God with a little bit of your heart on Sunday mornings, occasionally. Now he says, all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So your heart, your souls, your mind, your will, your emotion. And then he literally says, with all of your strength. And then he goes on in verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk to them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lay down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses. And so Moses is saying, look, there's a few things that as we go into the promised land, I want you to know that if you'll do these things, they will lay the foundation for your life, but not only your life, your kids' lives and your grandkids' lives as well. Teaching them, observing God's laws and decrees. And this is where someone has the power to change generations of your offspring. Some of you are first generation Christians, and I want you to know when you grab a hold of God's principles, that you can do it in such a way that it is multi generational. And let me give you an example. My dad came out of an abusive home. His dad and mom, they were just dairy farmers and very, very abusive. They would beat them mercilessly. Alcoholics. Dad would tell stories of just how, not, not many, but the fear of God was put in those kids in an unhealthy way. And to this day, every single one of the Kyles on their side died drunks, alcoholics, chasing women, money, and their lives have been disasters except for my dad's. My dad. at a young age, had a Baptist church that had a bus route by their house, and he went to church. I think he was seven, six or seven. And he said he gave his life to God 
And that bus driver would pick him up every single week. And something happened. His, his, his brothers went with him, but their lives weren't changed. Dad's life was radically changed. And from that moment, he put us in church. He ended up marrying my mom. And, you know, my dad worked all the time and wasn't in church every Sunday, but was one of the most godly men I had ever met in my entire life. He loved God, had an encounter with God. And for him, he shifted the whole generational lineage of the Kyle's family. And now I'm second generation, and I'm praying that my kids get the faith of my dad. Generational faith. That even if you're the first, listen, if you're the first, it's okay. Look, dad didn't, he wasn't able to fit in with all of his brothers and sisters, but my dad understood changing the destiny of his family. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. A parent's priority is to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from themselves until it rests solely on God. So in other words, you got to transfer your child's dependence away from you to God. Transfer, little by little. So in other words, as you're little, they should depend on you, but the older they get, they ought to recognize that you're not their source, but God is. I mean, one of the ways that we have done this in my family, and I'm so thrilled to see how my kids have gotten this principle. We don't get them all right, but in regards to money, it was one of the things that I learned growing up. My mom and dad tithed my whole life, and I remember going into children's church and having an offering and putting the offering in the offering plate, and they taught us and developed us that as we give back to God what belongs to God, God blesses the rest. And in fact, they would teach us that first portion doesn't belong to you. Well, then what happened is I grew up and nobody had to teach me how to tithe. What did they do? They transferred a principle of God first in finances to me through the way that they raised me. And then even today, my son's 16 years old, super proud of him. He has a job and you know, my other kids, they make money on different things that they do. And the thing that blesses my heart is when I see them say, hey, dad, can you break this 10? Because I need to give some of it back to God. And then I'll break it and they give it back to me. And then we put it in an envelope or we do it through the, the text to give on their little credit cards. And what I have found is they've watched me and mom give and give and sow and put God first. And I talk about it. I mean, we talk about legacy offering and how God has blessed us. There's moments where God would say, hey, I want you to give. And Phyllis and I were like, okay, we're going to give. We would talk to our kids and say, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. And we don't know what God's going to do, but here's what we're doing. We would give it. And they watched God be faithful day in and day out. There has been a transference of the principle of God first in our resources. What are you doing? You're transferring your child's dependence. We look at the same thing. You know, I, I've made my kids, and that, you know, at the very beginning, they come to 21 days of prayer here on the campus. And uh, if you hadn't been a part of it in January, and then in August, we do 21 days of prayer, and we'll come in here at 6 a.m., and since they were little, 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 since we started the church, we would bring them with us. Many times I'd hold one of my babies in my arm, walking up and down and praying. And someone said, well, why would you do that? Aren't they tired? Absolutely, they're tired. Do they love doing it? Not always. 
And I can tell you the first couple of years, it was really, really difficult. Like, Mom, why we got to go? Dad, why we got to go? Because I'm training you what we do to set the pace of a brand new year and a brand new season in August. And then even last year, it was so funny. My kids, uh, we were doing 21 days of prayer, and it was such a sweet presence of God. My kids wanted to skip school to stay praying. Now, is that always the case? Not always the case. But it was so touching to my heart that there are moments where it's like, wow, they get it. I didn't have to make them do it. They're like, God, I want to be in your presence. What are we doing? We're transferring. Listen, it's not about my faith. It's about your faith in God. And I want to talk about two keys to help you transfer their dependence to God. First one, and this is going to be something you're, you're like, oh, I don't know if that's how that correlates to this, but it does. The first one, it's... It's a little different than what you might think is, number one, love God wholeheartedly. You cannot transfer something you do not have. You can't transfer something you don't have. You can't say, hey, I want you to have a relationship with God and you don't have a relationship with God. Hey, do what I say, not what I do. That, that's not at all how it works. If you want to have faith that is generational, they've got to see you get up early in the morning. They've got to see you pray. They've got to see you lean into relationships that lead you to the throne of God in the direction of God, building the kingdom of God. And look what he says in verse 5. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your heart. I mean, think about with, with, with your life, when you got married, if you're married, um, when you first started dating, whoo, what you wouldn't do to spend time with your boo. Come on, somebody, right? Like you stay up all night talking, all, it's funny, the older you get, you're like, hey, we're going to bed. Like, I thought you used to talk to me. Yeah, I know, I know, baby, but I got work. But when you was dating, that word didn't matter because you talked till 4 a.m., got to get up for work at 5 a.m., and somehow still have strength in your body. <laughs> Probably hormones, but anyway. <laughs> That's what love for God is. With all your heart, is like nobody made you come to church. You're not doing it to try to check it off your list. It's like, God, I love you, and I want to serve you, and I want to give my life to you. And then with all your soul, that's your mind, your will, and your emotion. That means my thoughts think about God. My will is directed towards God. My emotions, like God has emotions. It's good to have feelings towards God. Like I'm not going to be led by my feelings, but I want to feel God. I mean, I've been here on a Sunday, and I wish it happened every Sunday. It doesn't always happen, but I love it when you can feel the tangible presence of God. But it's like, God, I want to love you with every ounce of my life, and then all of my strength, I want to love you wholeheartedly. And what I'm concerned about is that we are raising families that don't fully love God, but they get just a little bit of God just a little bit of taste of God. And I think that's a very dangerous place to be. I, I, let me explain. How, how many have ever gotten a flu shot? Anybody ever get a flu shot? So, you know, when you get the flu vaccine, you're fighting against the influenza virus. And what they actually do, if you've ever looked and studied it out, they actually give you a little bit of that virus so that your antibodies will fight against it if it tries to attack your body. And so they, they give you just a little bit to inoculate you. It's like, well, it's enough to keep me, 
to where I, I'm not going to experience that. And so it's an immunity that's built up. I think that's what happens many times when we just come to church casually, occasionally, that your family comes and they get just enough of God that they feel really good about themselves. Hey, I'm not like everybody else. We're not quite as bad as everybody else. And, and you can be deceived because it's like, well, I feel good, and God, I like you a lot. And sometimes we say we love him, but love demands a response. Liking, I'm just going to do what's easy and what's comfortable. And so what we do is we build children that are in the presence of God. They kind of build this immunity to God, but they learn that they don't have to give their whole heart to God. It's a very dangerous, dangerous place to be. No, 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 no. You got to, it's everything. I, I actually would almost rather a family not go to church at all because if you don't go to church at all, at least you know you're a sinner. Right? It's like if you're going to play games, just be all in or all out because then your kids are like, well, mom, we're lost. Like, why don't we go to church? Well, because I don't love God with all my heart. Right? I mean, honestly, it's almost a better, because what will happen is your kids will have an immunity towards God. Now, listen, listen to me carefully. I want you in church as much as you possibly can be. You need to be here. But what I'm saying is there's a danger to just living your casual life and asking God to help them love you with their whole life. So how do, how do, how do we fall in love with God? Well, it's the same way you would with relationship, time, energy, and focus. So you spend time with God. I want to encourage you, if you've not done it, do the first 15. I talk about it all the time. That's the first 15 minutes of the day. What are you going to do? You're going to get up. You're going to listen to a worship song. You're going to read the scripture, and then you're going to pray. Five minutes of worship, five minutes of reading the Bible, and five minutes of praying. And if you'll just do that every single day, what will happen is in 21 days, 30 days, 60 days, that 15 minutes won't be enough. Why? Because you're falling in love with God. Imagine when you were dating your spouse. You didn't want all of them at the very beginning. You didn't even know if you liked them. But as you begin to spend a little bit of time, you wanted more time and more time. So, so there's no shame in the fact of I'm not even sure how much time I want to spend. Start somewhere, and then what will happen is God will capture your heart. And the more he has your heart, the more he'll have your life. We're going to love God wholeheartedly. And a great place to start as well is, look, if you're not a part of this church, come to Next Steps. Today, we actually have step one of next steps where you learn more about the church. Come on, isn't it awesome? Talk about the church, how to get involved, how to get connected. If you want to serve on the dream team, you'd like to say, hey, I want to be involved in serving, greeting, being a part of the children's ministry, production, you'd go to next steps. That's the process that starts the journey. What are you doing? You're leaning in with people that love God and can help cultivate your relationship with God. Same thing with small groups. I want to encourage you if you're not a part of a small group. Why would I go to small groups? Because that's a place where people celebrate God. Not just getting together. There's a huge difference with having friends and having godly friends. Godly friends, it's like, man, we start to brag on God. There begins to be this, wow, God did that. Look, let me tell you about what God did for me. You're not just out there trying to be a missionary, but you're encouraging each other. What are we doing? We're falling more in love with God. And then I want to encourage you, a great place, come to church regularly. Regularly make God a priority in your life. Could you imagine loving someone but never going on a date with them? You know, that's where it's like, man, these are the encounters that you can have corporately that feed into what you do privately. 
there was a fascinating study by the Barna Group. It's so fascinating. Uh, Barna did a study of kids who become active Christ followers as adults. And look at what the study found. That if both mom and dad attend church, 72% of the kids will continue as adults. Think about that. So just showing up as mom and dad, 72% will say, hey, we're going to go to church as a discipline when I'm an adult. If only dad goes to church, 55% of the kids will continue as an adult. If only mom goes to church, 15% of kids will continue as adults. Now, I want to speak to all the single mothers. I want to encourage you. Listen, these stats don't have to define your life. God is greater than stats. These stats bring an awareness of, but listen, my life has been changed because of a praying mother. You keep praying for your child. You keep bringing your child. Your child doesn't have to be a statistic. Your child can be a devoted follower of Jesus. Come on. And if neither mom nor dad attends, it's, the stats show about 6% of the kids will come to church as adults. Imagine that. Just showing up makes a difference. So what are we going to do? We're going to love God wholeheartedly. Second thing Deuteronomy teaches us is to lead your family intentionally. Verse 6, it says, This commandment that I give to you today, write it upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to lead my family intentionally. It's not just something we do on the weekend. It's how we live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's how we talk. It's what we listen to. It's what we watch. It's the friends that we have. And we begin to make decisions that are quality decisions that are proactive. Like, I'm going to lead this family, and you're not always going to like it. And that is okay. Can I just, can I give you permission and just say this? Parents... You are in charge. I just want to say it again. Parents, you are in charge. Who thought there would be a day where you'd even have to say such a statement? But the fact is, you're in charge. Well, I'd get them there, but they won't. What do you mean they won't? If they won't, then we got to get better in what we're doing because they will... Because you're their parent, and we've got to lead them to the things of God, which means you're the one that sets the standard. You're the one that decides what's done and not done, not your child. Here's a fascinating quote by Edward Duke of Windsor. Look what he said. The thing that impresses me most about America is the way that parents obey their children. <laughs> parents, you're in charge. And, and I want you to hear this. We need to be more concerned about their holiness than their happiness. I know it's painful. Look, I, I was raised in a Christian home, and my mom, man, I hated it. You know, we, so I was the one that backslid or really ran from God, my, my twin brother Steve, uh, which is why I think it's hilarious. I even said it in the video. I'm so surprised God called me to pastor this church or a church at all. And... Uh, <laughs> Because Steve was the one that was carrying his Bible to school. I was smoking, I mean, running from God, just anything I could to get away from God. And I remember in our high school experience, we shared a car, so we'd fight over music. I didn't want to listen to what he wanted to listen to. I wanted to listen to my music. And, 
that I wanted to smoke in our car, but he didn't want me to smoke in our car. And he had a Bible. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And he had a Bible, and I'm like, I don't want anything to do with the Bible. And I'd be like, Mom, I'm going to this bar. She said, No, you're not. Yeah, I am. No, you're not. Okay. How you gonna get there? <laughs> she was right. I don't know. Okay. She, she, I say, Mom, I, w- I, w- I want to do something. I'm tired of just going to school and going to church. She, fi- she said, fine, go get a job. <laughs> so at the age of 14, I did three things. I went to school, I worked, and I went to church. That was my life. What was my mom doing? She was putting in some guardrails to say, I'm going to keep you busy and focused because you don't need to go play with the things of the enemy because he will destroy your life. She wasn't trying to be my friend. She was trying to set a standard. And I went kicking and screaming. Now, as an adult, I am so grateful that I don't have to deal with some of the things that my friends dealt with because they lowered standards and did things they weren't supposed to do. We've got to be intentional in leading our family. The Bible calls it training. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn or depart from it. Train a child, train a child in what? The way he should go. So when they're old, they're not going to depart. Now, that word train is fascinating. It means to initiate, dedicate, to train. That's what it means in the original context. And what that word actually meant was, it actually meant the palate of your mouth. And so the Hebrew women would put paste on their finger and put it in the palate of a baby's mouth to stir hunger so that that baby would feed. And so training is not discipline and authoritarian for that sake. It's like, how do I do it in a way that makes them hungry for the things of God? So not always going to like it, but you can tell the why and you can show the results. This is why we do it. Let me show you what happens when you do the things of God, when we live this way. And the goal is that they've been watching your life for so long, they're like, this must work because I see how God is working in your life. Godly living works. And so I want to give you seven areas to train your children in, seven areas, and I'm going to do them quickly so you take a picture, you write it down, uh, it's in your message notes, and these are to be the foundation. They come from Proverbs, and uh, I'm going to say them quickly, so uh, write them down. First area of your life to train a child in is we want to train them to manage God's money. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, I'm not going to go through the passages, you can go look them up. Uh, the first area for me is money and the resource. It's, it's important to me because remember this, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. There's something about teaching a child as a young child that everything doesn't belong to me. We have this propensity to selfishness, and when you're teaching them and you show them, hey, look, let me show you what mom and I do. Let me celebrate the wins, and it's not always easy. What that's doing is saying it's not all about, everything I get is not all about me, but it goes back to the one that gave to me. Secondary is I'm going to train them to carefully select their friends. Now, they don't always do a good job at this. That's where we help them. We help them. It's not, it's not a maybe. It's like, well, they can, you can't make them at school, but you're not going to go hang around with people that don't go to church and live like we live. Well, they love God. Cool, where do they go to church? Why don't you invite them to come to our church? Or I, I always try to just, this is where we're building our lives. This is where we're building our community. And I want people to have that community and my kids to have it here. Here's the third thing. Train them to watch their words. Their words, their words. Your mouth. So not only 
making sure we don't cause pain in the life of others. But remember this, you are today what you spoke yesterday. You will be tomorrow what you speak today. So Proverbs talks about the power of life and death is in the tongue. So you let them begin to prophesy over their life. I don't let them say, I can't. We say, Kyle's can. Kyle's can. Oh, I'm not smart. You are smart. You're intelligent. You're hardworking. You're diligent. You're focused. And so we, we all, I, I'm constantly, hey, no, 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 no. We don't say the negative. We speak into existence who we already are, even if we don't feel like it. You got to watch their words. Fourth area is, Train them to be responsible. I'm going to help them become responsible adults. I want to help them uh, to feel the weight of things. When things go well, that's great. Give them the responsibility. If they don't go well, hold them accountable. Responsible, productive young people who live in our families. Then the next one is to guard their minds. That's through your eyes, what you watch, your ears, what you hear, friendships, relationships. You just got to be careful what you put in. Remember this, garbage in equals garbage out. So we're training them, training them. What, what is put inside of you will always come out of you. In fact, I'll tell you this, you want to know where someone's at in life? Just have them talk. Ask a few good questions and you can uncover where a person is. Not what they look like, not what they act like, not what they say like. You just ask some good questions because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we want to help guard their heart, guard their mind, put in good things. Train them to be generous, six. Look, this is different because I don't want them just to put God first in resources, but I want them to be generous. In other words, I'm thinking about other people. How can I bless them? How can I prefer them? How can I help them and uh, bless people? Those who bless others will themselves, the Bible says, be refreshed. So I want my kids to be generous. We give. We're blessing. Constantly looking for opportunity. And then the seventh area is we want them to fear God. Fear God. That's so important to me. Uh, in fact, I'm going to do a series this year on honor. I feel like we have a generation that has lacked what honor is and what it means. And I think we've got another generation that has lacked to teach it. Uh, we've been bullied like that's, that's old school. That's no, 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 no. When you honor God people, God honors you. And we're going to talk about the layers of honor. And the fear of God is a level of honor. It's like, God, I fear and revere you. He is a holy God. Think about it. It's the fear of the Lord that keeps us many times from doing the things we shouldn't do. There is a healthy level of fear. And we want to help them understand the fear of the Lord. And as we teach and train them, I'm telling you, we're going to rebuild our families in a healthy way. So first things, we're going to love God wholeheartedly ourselves. And the second thing is we're going to lead our families intentionally. And I want to pray over you right now as we close the service. And I want to encourage you. Don't let these messages over the next five weeks make you feel less than or, oh, my God, I can't believe it. No, 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 no. You just embrace wherever I'm at. I'm going to get better. Some of you are like, man, I'm checking all these boxes. Others, it's like, I've never even heard of this until now. And I want you to know everything in between. All of us can continue to get better. And I want to pray God's grace over you. I want to invite you over the next five weeks, come back. Continue to lean in and say, God, I'm going to raise a family that loves you, that's centered around you. We're going to fight for the family that you've given us. 
Father, we thank you for your grace, your power, your strength to build healthy, life-giving families. God, you're so good. You're so great. Yeah.